read two passages from God's Word this morning. Um, the first one is in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, and we'll read through from verse 1 to verse 15, and then in the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, and it's <clears throat> verses 1 to 7. We'll go through to verse 10, actually. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. The headline in the New International Version is Moses and the Burning Bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Israel. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and they have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Then First John and chapter 1, reading through from verse 1. <coughs> that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, 
This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And, I'm sorry, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our life. This is the word of the Lord and we bless him for it. I'm going to choose a text from the Old Testament. Last two Sundays I spoke on Colossians. So have a wee change today. And uh, we'll go to Exodus chapter 5 and verse 3 for our text. And uh, tonight we'll finish off with Revelation. <laughs> so it's uh, Exodus this morning and Revelation tonight. Here's the text. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's a good question, isn't it? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Um, this morning we're on Moses and the Egyptians, and tonight we're on Jesus and the Romans in the book of Revelation. Moses' life can be neatly divided into three sections um, of 40 years each. He lived till he was 120. First 40 years of his life, he, was, he spent 40 years learning to be a nobody. As an Egyptian, at the Egyptian court, probably at the Egyptian school up in the delta of the River Nile, it was presided over by usually veteran soldiers, senior soldiers of the Egyptian army. So he spent 40 years there learning to be a somebody there. Um, he'd escaped the genocide um, that the Egyptians had inflicted on the, his, on the, the Hebrew babies. Um, the River Nile, as you know, was absolutely bristling with crocodiles and by the simple expedient of throwing children in the river Nile they were able to dispose of large numbers of Hebrews and so he escaped being eaten by a crocodile and he went to university you might say and he got the highest learning that the Egyptians could impart for him 
40 years. Now the second 40 years, he was 40 years learning to be a nobody. He was stuck in the hinder end of the desert. And it was not easy because not only was the, the father-in-law not a Hebrew, as far as we know, but he had a pile of sisters-in-law, <laughs> which can never be easy, so I'm told. <laughs> um, and he learned to be a nobody, tending sheep in the desert. Tending sheep in the desert. Learning to be a somebody in Egypt, taught in the finest of Egyptian culture and education. And then 40 years, tending sheep in the desert um, among the daughters of Jethro. And then the third period of 40 years, he was learning to be what God can do with a nobody when he gives his life to God and becomes a somebody for God, leading God's people. So it was second only to Abraham in Hebrew thinking as a, a leader of the Hebrews. In Jewish history, he was very high indeed. In fact, one of the Old Testament scholars, John Bright, says, if Moses didn't exist, we would have to invent somebody <laughs> to take his place. And the Egyptians were a fantastically well-organized empire. The most organized empire the world had seen to date. Um, Professor Kenneth Kitchen talks about the religion. He says they had 702 gods. I don't want to strike through them out to get a nice neat number. But Professor Kitchen says they had 702 gods. And um, access to the temple was allowable only for priests. The ordinary folk, the ordinary Egyptians couldn't worship in the temples. It was only priests that could worship. And the idea of a rabble of slaves having a god that they worshipped and wanted to go out into the desert to worship was preposterous to the Egyptians. And they did everything they could, of course, to prevent this happening. And so the leader was the pharaoh. Yeah, we're not sure who the leader was. It was probably Cetus I or Ramesses II, about the 16th dynasty in the Hebrew kingdom. And here's a key question from a pagan ruler, which is still relevant in today's world. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? And so this morning I'm going to answer three, try to answer three simple questions in connection with this text. First of all, does he exist? Does he exist? That's the first question. The second question is, what is he like? And the third question is, how does that affect me? So there's three, three questions. You can go back to sleep now and you can <laughs> think about it after you go home. <coughs> does he exist? Well, there's the rational argument, yes. God has given us reason to think our way through the world in which we live. We're put on board this ship, the good ship Earth, and God expects us to worship him. There are folk all over the world who worship various things. 
they worship stones, they worship rivers, they worship mountains, they worship ancestors, they worship spirits. But it seems that we've got built inside us this capacity for worship all over the world. Um, and that's the rational uh, argument. And also the function of conscience. God has given us a conscience. Professor Hallisby wrote a book about conscience. And he said that our consciences are always active. Before an action, we're weighing it up. Um, it's least active when we're actually doing the action, and it's most active after the action when we reflect on the consequences of our actions. And so reason and conscience are two good arguments. Does he exist? The rational argument. Eps, excuse me. And then there's the natural argument. When you look at the world in which we live, we're far enough away from the sun not to be cooked. <laughs> if we were a wee bit nearer the sun, we could be cooked. And we're complaining about the weather over the weekend. But God has given... If we were a wee bit further away, we'd be frozen. If we were a wee bit nearer, we'd be cooked. <laughs> and we see design in nature. The, the scholar Paley said it's like walking on the beach and you find a watch lying in the beach and you pick up the watch and you think that's an amazing piece of work I've got a bit of dirt in mine just now it's coloured somebody could probably tell me how it affects his brain back down here <laughs> but you look at you look at your watch and think that's an amazing thing look at that nice strap somebody's designed to put on that and there's the second hand and the, the minute hand and the hour hand. And I'll take the back off it and have a look at it. I better not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you take the back off the watch. Look at the lovely design in there. And, and Paley said, that's like the world in which we live. God has designed it. Wonderful. There's the anomalous expansion of water. The scientists tell us at four degrees Celsius. If this didn't happen, all the rivers of the world would freeze up in winter. But when water gets down to four degrees Celsius, there's an anomalous expansion of water that makes it possible for us to keep being able to drink water. And the natural argument, the rational argument, the natural argument, the, the, the scriptural argument, the scriptural argument is that God's existence well, it's assumed it's not proved. In the beginning, God created you know, the heavens and the earth. This wonderful God. His existence is assumed and not proved. And in the letter to the Hebrews, in chapter 11, I think it is, if I can find it, it's in this Bible somewhere. Uh, chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. My Bible class teacher was a wonderful man. His name was Roy Miller. He was a naval architect. And he had serious problems with the miracle stories of the Bible. 
But he said when he came to the position of recognising that his big problem was not how to explain the miracles, but how to worship God and be pardoned from his sins, then his whole life changed. And this big, clever man, he's a wonderful artist as well, sold his, his paintings. Um, he was a great Bible teacher, the most well-prepared teacher I've ever come across. Ryan Miller, and in Lanhill Mission, we had so many young people that, uh, and Sunday school, that the Bible class met in the kitchen, you know, sitting up on the benches beside the kettles and the ovens. <laughs> Roy Miller taught us. There's a scriptural argument. God's existence. You must, if you're coming to him, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So, does he exist? Well, there's the rational argument, the natural argument, the scriptural argument, um, all given. And there's the personal argument. How do I know God exists? Well, providence. Providence. Folks say it's bad luck, it's good luck, it's karma, it's all sorts of things. But those who know God see purpose and meaning and God's good hand upon us. If we were all if we were all as bad as we could be, life would be unbearable. You have been nice neighbours that keep their garden tidy and they walk the dog and they cut the hedge and they say good morning to you and all that. They're not Christians at all. That's part of God's providence to give us nice neighbours. All sorts of things around us are evidence of God's providence. And then there's prayer. That this God we worship answers prayer. You know, I was hearing a story at the Keswick Convention. The best talk, in my estimation, at the Keswick Convention this year was an old missionary lady who was uh, out with the Unevangelized Fields Mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And she was shot by a Congolese rebel. Um, her guard was taken away from her and this man fired a bullet and went right through her shoulder blade and right out of her back. It was a miracle it didn't hit her spinal cord. But uh, she told how God looked after her. She showed us a slide of a wall and she leaned against this wall to staunch the flow of the blood from the, the bullet of the Congolese. And she shouted and shouted and her guard got back to her. They got her on an MAF plane and she got out and she got surgery and she's still alive to tell the tale. God spared her life. She built a nursery, she built a primary school, she built a nurse's training school. An amazing lady. Wonderful. God's providence. And God's prayer. He answered her prayer. And then there's the existence of miracles. The wonder factor in miracles. Winston was marking GCSE papers for a school in Bootle. Have you ever heard of Bootle near Liverpool? And I was answering, this kid was answering the question. Um, what did the disciples say? It was in Mark's Gospel. What did the disciples say when Jesus stilled the storm? And this boy put, wow. Which <laughs> 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 I thought was a wonderful answer. <laughs> the wow factor in miracle. <laughs> Miracles are acts of wonder, acts of power. Um, 
wonderful gods or there's miracles, there are acts of power, there's signs that point to the divinity of the Lord Jesus. In the book of uh, John, the Gospel of John, every miracle is called a, a simion, a sign. So there's signs and there's wonders and there's power uh, all behind God's working. What is, what is this amazing God like? Does he exist? Well, that's the second question we're coming to now. What is he like? The Lord Jesus said to his disciple, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So why do you say, Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Is a kindly God. That's the first thing about him. God is a kindly God. He's not a monad dwelling in silence, distant and remote from us. He's a kindly God. There's a man called Tony Campolo, and he told the story about how he landed in the middle of the night in Hawaii, and he couldn't get anything to eat in the hotel he was in. So he went out to a pub, a bar, we would say, or a pub, and he's sitting there having his grub, and a, a gang of ladies came in. And they were ladies of the night, call them sex workers now. And they were in all their highest kites, and they were teasing up one of the ladies. Her name was Agnes, and she was going to be 40. It was her 40th birthday the next day, and they were teasing her terribly. And uh, after they went out, Tony Campolo said to the, bar the, the barman, he said, did they come here regularly? <laughs> and the barman said, you can set your watch by them, they're here at half past two every night. Um, he said, well, would you do me a favour? And he reached into his wallet. He said, I want you to get a birthday cake. Happy birthday, Agnes. And he said, I want you to get streamers and balloons and all manner of goodies, and that'll cover it. And he went back at half past two the following night, and then in walked all these ladies, and they were so amazed. And Agnes started crying. She said she'd never had a birthday cake before. <laughs> and he, 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 they were really grateful to him. And he said, could I pray for you, Agnes, since it's your birthday today? And he thanked God that God had given Agnes life and that God had looked after her for 40 years, and that God had sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pardon Agnes' sins, and God was wanting to look after her from now on in. And it was just wonderful, you know? And at the finish up, after they had trooped out, the barman said to Tony Campolo, he said, I, I can take it you're a Christian. He says, what kind of church do you belong to? <laughs> he says, I belong to the kind of church that throws parties for ladies of the night at <laughs> And the barman said, I would like to belong to a church like that. God is a kindly God. A kindly God. In the Old Testament, you're looking where God, you don't go to the palaces and to the temples. You go to the slime pits and the slave camps to find the people of God. God is so kind to them. Secondly, he's the living God. The I am. 
It's a wonderful name. Have you ever noticed in the Old Testament, whenever his name occurs in capital letters, there's my specs away now. <laughs> a bad morning. <laughs> Here he is. He's a God who's living. Have you noticed his name in the Old Testament is very often in capital letters? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That, that is to recognise the special name of God given to Moses that we read about in Exodus 3. Yahweh. The scholars think that's probably the best vocalisation of it. It's from the verb to be. It's uh, probably a causative mood, the hyphial of the Hebrew verb to be. And what does it mean? Well, first of all, it's a word of creation. One of the Jewish translators says, the one who causes to be what comes into existence. He's the creator God. That's his name. Anything else? Oh, yes. The, the second meaning is he's the crisis God. He amplifies his, his direction to Moses by saying, tell them I am has sent you. The I am means he's here any time you are needing him and call to him for help. He's, he's the God of creation. He's the God of crisis. You can, they were in a crisis. The babies were being killed by the hundreds and the thousand. They were in a crisis and this God says, tell them I am has sent you. And then the third thing is, because I like everything to be in threes and have the same letter. <laughs> He's the God of the covenant. That means you can depend on him. If he makes a promise, he keeps it. You know folk that make promises and don't keep them. God keeps his promises. He's a wonderful God. A kindly God, a living God, a holy God. We were singing about that just a few minutes ago. And here there's fire phenomena in the Exodus story, chapter 3. Fire phenomena. Um, this bush is burning, but it's not burning out. Something wrong here. And so he is attracted. And the holiness of God is shown that God says, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. The ground you're standing on, ground of holiness is, that's the Hebrew text. <laughs> this is one of the first Hebrew texts I did, uh, Exodus 3. Ground of holiness is, holiness from the, the verb kadash, to cut, it means to sever, to separate. And holiness is, first of all, separate, separateness from sin. That the God of the Bible is a holy God. So much unholiness in the world in which... We won't find the word holiness in tomorrow's daily record or the, or the London Times either. Um, God is a holy God. He's separate from sin. That's the negative side of it. And sometimes as Christians... We project a negative image to folk, you know. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do the other thing. What do you do? You know, that sort of thing. Um, 
And we have, we do a few things as Christians. We do a few things. It's separation from sin negatively and dedication to purity. Dedication to purity. One of the other talks we heard at Keswick this year, the second best talk, <laughs> I agreed them something. The second best talk was from an old American guy. He was a procurator under the government in America, and he gave it up to start a charity. His charity was a charity against injustice in the world. And one of the first folk he came across was a wee girl of 12 who had been a prostitute since she was 10. And she slept under a bed. This is in India. There were men, top pairs, slept, went to the bed, and these lasses were brought into slavery, lying under a bed. And he found out that the man who ran that awful house of sin was the chief of police. And this man got him into the court before the judge and off to jail where he ought to have been for many years. And this lad found a whole lot of other girls. And his, his charity spends all its time doing what Jesus did, going about doing good and healing those who were oppressed of the devil. He's a holy God. He's a powerful God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 20 says that God delivered us from the iron furnace. And Egypt was the iron furnace. Now, I worked for three years in uh, Clyde Ironworks, Toll Cross, with three 100-foot-high blast furnaces. And the burden went in the top and they generated terrific heat down at the bustle mains, um, 2,000 degrees Celsius. Um, there was the, the burden and the heat and the pressure. The, the, the metal came out a tap in the bottom and the slag came out another tap in the bottom of the furnace. Um, heat, pressure, they knew all about it. Burden, the, the Hebrews knew all about it. They were sent to get straw for the bricks. Not only make bricks, but get straw to make bricks. It was awful. This is a powerful God. How do I know? Well, he delivered me from sin. <laughs> That's what he's like. He's a powerful God. And somebody said, how far can you go back, Josh? <laughs> I said, well, I knew the man who held the horse's head that pulled the cart on which D.L. Moody preached in Bardowie Street, Postal Park, in Glasgow in 1874. <laughs> I knew him when, when he was in his 90s, John McConnell, and he said, when I became a Christian, my wife got a new husband. My family got a new father. And he said, the worst change of all, in a way, was my horse got a new master. <laughs> he says, I took out my bad temper on the horse. He was always punching the horse. And the horse was bamboozled by the change in his character. He was being nice to his horse all the time. <laughs> Powerful God. He delivers from sin, from Egypt. How does that affect me? 
Sorry, I'm actually 12. We've got time. <laughs> How does that affect me? Well, here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says, The word is near you, even the word of faith that we preach to you. The word is near you. So we've no excuse. We have, if you like, the means to respond. Romans chapter 10. In Acts chapter 17, in his speech in Mars Hill, that's, I'm still in Romans here, Romans chapter 10, Acts chapter 17, an amazing statement to the Greeks on Mars Hill. I'm still looking for it, it's here. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. It says, In the past God overlooked ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere. That's pretty universal, isn't it? All people everywhere to repent. We have the capacity to respond, the means to respond, the responsibility to respond. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The command is here and we live today either under his judgment or under his love. That's the kind of God that we worship and that's how it affects us. C.G. Studs was a poor old man. We feel so sorry for the English cricketers. <laughs> They're getting murdered some days. And C.T. Studd played for England. He gave away £50,000. He was going to get married. And he says to his wife, I've kept enough for the wedding. She said, if you don't give that away, I'm not marrying you. <laughs> she was quite a girl, quite a girl. She made up a wee song. Um, My Jesus, I love thee. You're dearer to me. Far dearer than ever Charlie can be. <laughs> That's what she said about him. So he gave away his fortune. And he said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. And he founded, I think it was the Heart of Africa mission initially, and then it became... The Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. What a wonderful man. What a wonderful God. That that man's life could be used so wonderfully well. I'd rather live, he says. Yeah. Some live within the sound of Chapel Bell. He said, I'd rather build a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And that's how he lived as a missionary. Does he exist? Yes. What is he like? He's kindly, loving, holy, living, powerful. How does that affect me? Well, we've no excuse. God has given us his word. He's given us his gospel. 
And we, we needn't atrophy our reaction to God. God wants us to return to him, to look to him. A famous preacher called Charles Spurgeon. It was a terrible morning in the winter and he couldn't get to his church and he walked into this church where the preacher was a substitute. And all, the, all he could do was announce his text. He just kept announcing his text. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And you have all to look. You should look. All you should do is look. You know? It went on like this. And Spurgeon became one of God's greatest preachers. The Metropolitan Tabernacle seated 6,000 people. And it was full every week. And loads of folk came to the Lord. A wee girl, she was up in the top gallery. And this shows you that how God used Spurgeon. She was going home with her mum and she said, Mommy, why did the man keep talking to me? <laughs> God used his servant. He wants to use you. He wants you to repent. He wants you to believe that if the Lord Jesus Christ came back today, you would be happily one of his children. He wants you to love him. He wants you to respond to him. He wants you to believe in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful text. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And we ask you, Lord, you'll help us to have true obedience and true joy as we follow you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 42. Number 42.